Welcome to Backyard Farmer. I'm Elizabeth Ekstrom filling in for Kim as we take the next hour to answer your gardening questions. If you have any questions, please give us a call at 1-800-676-5446. You can also contact us with pictures and emails for a future show. And that address is byf at unl.edu. And we need to know as much information as possible, uh, where you live, um, as much as you can provide about that question too. So with that out of the way, let's get started with some samples. And Kyle, you're first. Yeah, tonight um, I have with me some uh, zebra swallowtail caterpillars for, for everyone. So these um, are just really first, maybe second instar, just very young uh, caterpillars here. I've got a couple on these leaves. And so when they start out, they're this kind of solid black with very, um, very light um, banding, kind of a white and, and uh, yellow banding. And then as they mature, they'll eventually turn kind of a green color uh, with that, that similar banding. And they'll reach maybe an inch and a half, two inches or so um, in, in size. And ultimately, what they're going to become is a butterfly um, like I have right here. So uh, this is a, a pinned example here of, of the adult. And so this is really one of our most striking butterflies, I think, that we have here in this state. Um, you can see where they get the name zebra swallowtail from, from that, that uh, black and white striping. And, um, and they're really specialized on one particular plant. So these caterpillars only feed on pawpaw trees. Um, and so, you know, like, like all butterflies, you know, the way we attract them, you need to have, of course, the larval host as well as good nectar sources for the adults. But, um, you know, if this is something that you would like to see in your landscape, then I would uh, suggest consider planting a pawpaw tree if you're, you're looking for something. Awesome. Thank you, Kyle. All right, Dennis, you got some interesting props yes, there. Yes, sure do. Well, it's July, the time that bats go to fly. <laughs> so this is when you can control them. Remember, we always say wait till July, let them fly till July. So now you can exclude them. If you have a slit they're coming in and out of, just hang some netting there. They can come out, get below it, but can't get back. If they're coming out of a corner, you have these cone devices or just a hole, you have this device. So this is a time of year that you'll start to see the young of the year bats, and this is the time of the year to exclude them. If you need more information, go to wildlife.unl.edu and a whole video on how to exclude them. All right, thank you, Dennis. Okay, Amy, what do we have there? My very sad and pathetic looking peppers from my own personal garden. So I need to learn where to buy my uh, plants from every year, so these, what I have going on today is bacterial blight. As you can see, we got all that death and nastiness. It starts off as a water-soaked lesion, which is over here, where it looks a little wet, and then it progresses into these really dark brown, uh, water-wet uh, lesions. And as it continues to go, you're gonna end up having the leaf completely blighting, as we're seeing here, and slow death of that plant. Now, the reason why I said I need to learn where I get my plants from, this is a disease that typically we bring in with our transplants. And so this is an example where you wanna make sure you're buying your plants from a very good greenhouse. Um, I bought mine from a local box store. They were cheap, but with that 
decreased or discounted price, I also brought disease in. So the trick with these, it's early in the season with it being July. Most likely I'm not gonna get the fruit production that I want. Um, you can try pinching off the leaves, but if you're my neck of the woods where we've been getting rain, it is rain splashing and moving very quickly up the plants. So I'm actually in a situation where I actually just need to rogue out the plants to keep the ones that I do have that are not infected healthy. So I do get some pepper production for this year. All right, well, good luck with that, Amy. <laughs> Terry, it looks like you got a sample that's good enough to eat. I do. So um, I'm always talking about the backyard farmer garden every week. So I thought I would bring my little cornucopia. So last week was our first big harvest week out of the backyard farmer garden. And we got shallots. And uh, if you remember, we talked about garlic planting last fall. Um, here's a pepper, Amy. You can take that home since yeah. you don't have any good ones. And we got some summer squash going and some of our um, Japanese eggplants are ready. So this is what we harvested last week out of the backyard farmer garden. All right, thanks, Terry. All right, moving on now, we're gonna go to our picture questions. And Kyle, your first one is from an Omaha viewer. They have butterfly weed and rhododendron and they're having these uh, similar symptoms. The plants are about six feet apart and they're just wondering kind of what's going on with them. Well, <clears throat> You know, butterfly bush or uh, plant or milkweed here, they, aphids are really common on them. I don't really see any aphids on this. Usually we see those concentrated around the top of the plant, um, especially around where those flowers are. And they're bright yellow. Um, and those aphids, oleander aphids, they, they wouldn't affect the uh, the other plants. They're, they're pretty specific. So I don't really see any insect-related um, issue that I can identify in these. I'm, I'm wondering if it could be environmental or sort of a water issue. I don't know, Terry, if you have any. Yeah, so um, depending on where they're at, if they're getting a lot of rain and it's sitting in wet, then that could be, that looked like an environmental, like it was too wet. Okay. And so we have some follow-up questions, Kyle. Um, there is a Omaha viewer. They have a very large cottonwood tree and they're starting to get these shavings. Um, initially they thought it could be squirrels, but then they said they have lots of large black ants around the tree. Um, they do say that they have an occasional woodpecker every once in a while and they're just kind of wondering what's going on with this large cottonwood. That's a good question. Um, you know, the shavings don't, don't look like they're carpenter ant related, but there certainly seems to be carpenter ants um, in the tree. So, you know, that that's obviously a sign to me that, that the tree does have some, some decay, some rot that's, that's set in. Carpenter ants aren't feeding on healthy tissue. They, you know, they're basically feeding on um, soft kind of rotting wood or they don't feed on it, but they ex excavate that out. So that tells me that there is an issue. I'm not sure if that's actually from carpenter ants or if there's something else going on. I would suggest it, it might not be a bad idea to have that tree checked out by an arborist to see what's going on. Um, and, you know, and then if there are carpenter ants in there, maybe consider, um, you know, hiring a, a pest control company to, to treat those. I don't recommend doing that yourself, but if it's close to the house and there's an issue where they could come in, something to think about. All right. So they need somebody to just take a look at it. And yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay, Dennis, we have a good question for you. Mm -hmm. um, this is an Omaha viewer. They usually keep bags of bird food under the deck in the bucket. And when they came home from Memorial Day weekend, they found uh, this damage. They were wondering who done it. This is usually, it looks like 13-way ground squirrel or even field mice. 
and plastic does not stop them. Uh, they, their teeth and dentition can go right through plastic. You have to use a metal type of container. And they're granivores and they love seed. And we have another uh, hungry critter from rural Cass County. Um, they were hungry enough to eat their fibrous uh, doormat, and they were well, wondering what <laughs> could have done that. Again, probably 13 land ground squirrels are one that would do this, and they're using it for nesting material. It probably is more deer mice that also use this as, it says welcome on it, and they just thought it meant them. <laughs> and so they're welcoming themselves to this material. They're not eating it, they're using it as nesting material. All right, thank you, Dennis. Amy, we've got a couple photos here. Um, they were a dogwood. They've done their soil samples and their pH. Um, they're trying to fix that pH issue. They have some slow drip donuts around these, so the trees do get enough moisture. But they're just wondering, possibly, could it be fungal? Could it be something else going on with these dogwoods? Okay. So the third picture actually gives you the best picture of what's going on. You see those brown lesions in there? This really looks like anthracnose on dogwood, and this is a flowering dogwood. Um, the trick with anthracnose is typically it's not a major issue that we're gonna worry about on the leaves, but it can move into the stems, um, which isn't real common in flowering dogwoods. If it was the, our, like a red twig dogwood, then it'll kill out the branches and the, and the stems. stems. Thank you, I can't think tonight. So most of the time I don't recommend treatment. Um, I can't remember, did they say they're around that Gage County area? They were around Gage County area. So the trick is, Gage County, you've been getting some rains. If you continue to get some rains, and since these are a new establishment, you may want to come in with a copper treatment just to protect that main stem of that dogwood since it's such a new planting. But this is anthracnose of dogwood. And we have one more question for you. All of a sudden, the leaves on their 30-foot tall red oak started to go brown. What's going on with the oak? Wow, it's anthracnose once again. Otherwise, it could be, by looking at it, another fungal disease, but I typically don't see that until the fall or late summer. So I'm gonna lean toward anthracnose. Once again, with anthracnose, I'm not gonna recommend a treatment on your oak, but what we do wanna do is good sanitation in the fall. And the other trick is if we have good air circulation, it will reduce it. So maybe um, calling an arborist and taking a look to see if we need to do any pruning um, to increase airflow within that red oak would definitely be something to look into. Okay, thank you, Amy. Uh, Terry, we have a Gibbon viewer that has harvested their gooseberry crop and they have questions on how to properly prune gooseberries. Well, so um, gooseberries, you wanna actually kind of take that centerpiece out and so that way you get good air circulation and light in there because you want to produce fruit. But uh, fruit is actually produced on old wood. So you need to kind of keep an eye on all of that and make sure that you're pruning back the old, the older, not pruning back the older wood so that the flowers set on it. So keep an eye, you want one year wood, two year wood and three year wood. So you're gonna kind of have to probably maybe mark them or something so you know, but that's what you need to do in order to get good gooseberry. And then we all expect a pie. And we have another question, if we don't get our pie. Um, this is Rose of Sharon. There's one branch with a growth that's larger than another. Um, it hasn't done anything this year, but it's not weak and it cannot be easily removed by hand. They're wondering, you know, what's going on with this? This is a Griswold, Iowa viewer. So this is just environmental. This is what mine looked like last two years ago. So I actually did go ahead and cut out the dead and then um, 
tried to see if I could survive it, but it really didn't. So I ended up actually taking the whole thing out. So that's just environmental. It's getting older as an older plant. So you can cut that dead piece out, make sure that it is well watered if you're not getting any of the rain and then um, see what it does for next year. But it will come out of it, but it might end up dying. That's what mine ended up doing. Thank you, Terry, for sharing. So one nice thing about color and ornamentals in your garden is all the butterflies that they attract. And so for our first feature tonight, Kate Chapman will focus on plants that help caterpillars and the adult butterflies. Spending some quality time outdoors also means spending time with insects. And although these creepy crawlies may not be everyone's cup of tea, there's almost always an exception for butterflies. Butterflies can come in all sorts of different shapes, sizes, and colors, bringing joy and beauty to any landscape. We often get to see butterflies like sulfurs, swallowtails, monarchs, and skippers. And if we're lucky, maybe you'll even encounter a day-flying hummingbird moth. If you're interested in attracting and keeping butterflies in your landscape, it's important to cater to all of its life stages. This includes having host plants available for the caterpillars to eat, as well as season-long blooms available for the adults. Almost all butterfly caterpillars feed on leaves and have a limited range of host plants that they can eat. Oftentimes, we intentionally plant these host plants for that exact use. An example of this would be planting milkweed in a pollinator garden to ensure that monarch butterfly caterpillars have habitat and food to eat. Other times, however, we get the unexpected surprise of caterpillars feeding on plants that we weren't originally intending to share. This can look like black swallowtail caterpillars feeding on dill and parsley in an herb garden, as well as checker spot butterfly caterpillars that will feed in groups and quickly skeletonize and defoliate plants like black-eyed Susans. If you're concerned about the caterpillars causing too much damage on these plants, you can plan ahead and plant some extra early on in the growing season, or you can carefully move the caterpillars to one or two sacrificial plants that you don't mind sharing with them while you keep the others nice and healthy. While caterpillar, different caterpillars can only eat specific types of plants, adult butterflies are less picky, though they do prefer flowers that provide um, landing sites for them, where they can rest while they eat nectar. This can, examples of this would be large blooms like cone flowers for them to land on, or clusters of small florets as well, such as butterfly weed or fox. Other considerations when creating habitats for butterflies are to grow plants in sunny areas with some wind protection and practicing integrated pest management to reduce the amount of insecticides we put into the environment. So as we go on later in the season and you spend time outdoors, be sure to keep an eye out for these people-pleasing insects. So having diversity of ornamentals as well as a food source for caterpillars will be a big help in preserving our butterflies. Talking about more insects, Kyle, Yeah. we're on another round of picture questions. So this viewer is west of Niobrara along the Missouri River. They have a maple tree and it's starting to drop leaves and they kind of wonder what's going on. 
Um, sure, these are maple bladder galls. Um, so these are caused by a, a very, very small um, areophyid mite. They're microscopic and you can't see them with, with the naked eye. And um, basically as the leaves are developing in the spring, that's when they, they come out and they, they start feeding and they manipulate the plant into producing these growths around them. So at this point, there's nothing you can do. They're protected in that gall. Um, there's just really nothing to be, be done. They don't, they don't really harm the tree. Um, in most cases, you know, only I, I would say very, very heavily infested leaves, they can start to drop um, around this time of year. But even at that, it's, it's really not harming the tree, um, even under real heavy infestation. So I would say for the most part, it's not anything you need to be concerned about or do anything about unless it's a, a really young tree that might otherwise be a little bit more susceptible. And then you have to just time that, um, that, that treatment with when those uh, mites would be becoming active as those leaves are just, uh, just coming out. So when they're maybe about a quarter of an inch in size. Okay. We've got two more pictures for you from Omaha. Um, they have a Taylor Sunburst Jack Pine, and they were curious because they saw a lot of wasps, wasps on their pine tree, and when they looked closer, they found a lot of white and brown spots. They're wondering if there's anything they needed to treat. Yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. So um, it looks like here in this second image that um, these are uh, black pine leaf uh, scales. There might also be pine needle scales, which would be like a, a white scale. They're, they often occur together. Um, the the black pine leaf scales can be a problem. They're usually associated with with a tree that is stressed. Um, you know, could be um, you know water deficit, something like that. But um, they can cause a problem, though they're not usually that that much of an issue in the Midwest. More more out west where they're, they're a bigger problem. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. We probably missed the window for treating those crawlers now. Um, that's probably more something, you know, maybe June or so when those crawlers are active. So I would suggest watching for those next spring. You can use like some double-sided tape or something. Try to, to uh, watch for those tiny little crawlers. As they become active, they'll be kind of a red or reddish brown. Um, and then you could give a, a treatment with an insecticidal soap or something like that uh, to treat those crawlers. All right, thank you, Kyle. Okay, Dennis, your first photo here is from Dawson County and there is a critter digging in the dirt. They wanna know who caused it. It's this guy, it it's a Geomies. It's a Plains pocket gopher. And gophers are very common across the whole state. And there's, there you, you can trap them or use a poison. Okay. The next question that we have is from Papillion. They see these two little chipmunks, is what they call them, um, playing on their patio and by their deck steps. They're wondering if these little critters will cause any damage or should they try to trap and remove them? These are 13-line ground squirrels. We virtually don't have chipmunks in Nebraska because you have to have trees and we're not a tree state. Um, but these guys dig small holes about the size of a golf ball, so unless you have you're golfing in your yard, they're not going to cause much damage. They will eat small things like zucchini and small blossoms of plants like peppers and stuff, but they don't eat that much. I mean, they'll eat less than one of your kids, so go ahead and have fun with them. <laughs> Only you would say that, Dennis. Okay, for this last photo for this round, um, we have a Hastings viewer and they have a creature that tends to bring animal carcasses and uh, hide them under their grill. 
Um, the picture that they sent to us is of the scat that they found in an area nearby, and they were wondering what kind of creature would drag carcasses and hide yeah. them under their grill. Well, the, the thing that would drag carcasses is a weasel or a mink. This looks more like, because of the fur color and the seed material in this scat, it looks more like an opossum scat. So you may have two things. You may have a weasel stashing its food under your grill and taking advantage of the spices and grease that fall from the grill to kind of enhance the flavor of that roadkill, um, something I would probably do. Um, the other thing is that with this, the fur in there, and this one, it, definitely this defecation looks like a small opossum. And control on weasels, what, what, what would you do to control a weasel? I wouldn't. You wouldn't. The homeowner oh. would like to control the weasel. I feel like they don't like the carcasses under their grill. So what okay. could they do to prevent that? Put screen around under the grill, or you can just clean up so there's no grease and clean your grill after you use it instead of waiting until next time you use it. Okay, and that's going to help to keep the weasel away. Right. And anything to do for the opossum, as you say? Nah. Okay. How about if the homeowner chose to take care of the possum? Possums are fine. Okay. Yeah. I tried. Amy, <laughs> for your questions. All right. Um, this viewer thinks that they possibly could have some fungus in their yard. Um, they're not really sure whether or not it is. So what do you think is going on? So I'm leaning, when I look at these pictures, you have some bright turf, bright green turf, and then a bunch of brown dead stuff. I'm leaning towards summer patch, which is a soil-borne fungus. It impacts the roots. We've been, you know, depending on where you're at in the state, you've been, we could be extremely dry. And so we'll see summer patch once we start getting into drought-like conditions because there's no roots. The one big thing is you're noticing is you see some of it green and some of it's not. And so I would lean toward, you probably have a mixed variety of turf in here. And so one of the best ways to manage summer patch is actually overseeding this fall with a resistant variety of bluegrass, if that's what you want for your lawn. And that will help fill in those uh, brown spots and that will take over and you should have a green lawn eventually. So in terms of treatments, is there any treatments that they need to do or they could do to okay. prevent it? Great question. There are soil applied treatments, but you have to make those applications early in the spring. So actually way back in April. And so we're past that window. In all reality, when you look for your bang for your buck, you're better off just overseeding with a resistant variety than trying to put fungicides down um, because those roots are so impacted to get that regrowth of those roots is gonna take a lot of time. Overseeding is a lot easier. All right. So for your next photo, we have a Lincoln viewer and they have a knockout rose and they were wondering why the knockout rose on that one side has some stringy, not so nice looking leaves. Well, I find it very pretty. Um, so the stringy leaves, if you also take a closer look, I bet you're also having a lot of excess thorns. This is rose rosette. This is actually a viral disease. Um, and when we look at knockout roses in general, they're grafted. And so sometimes one part of the plant can be infected versus the other, depending on how that graft is. Now this is insect transmitted and you can transmit it from other roses with your, with your pruners. So typically when we have a plant that has rose rosette, we're going to want to remove it from the landscape to ensure that we don't give movement other to the other roses in the landscape. Long term, the plant will survive. It's just not going to thrive as well. It's going to get stunted. It's just not going to overwinter real well. And you're not going to get the number of blossoms that you're after. So remove it and then replace it this fall. All right. Thank you, Amy. 
Okay, Terry, we have a fun ID for your next one. Um, this is from Palmyra, and they were wondering what this large tree is. It grows to about 12 feet tall. It's got very soft wood, and once it drops its leaves, the stalk never leaves out again. Um, they note that it tends to be rather invasive, but it makes such a nice privacy fence that they don't mind it, but they want to know what it is. So this is um, not native, obviously. This is uh, Royal Polonia. This is um, barely hardy here. This actually came from China. So the root basically stays alive underground, but it will just send, send up new shoots. So that's why it drops its leaves. When it does drop its leaves, it drops them all at once. If you were further east, you'd actually get these really pretty purple flowers that come on it, but we normally never see them here. You usually find these in kind of those mail order catalogs that say fast growing trees. That's usually what this is. And they are not lying that it is a fast It is very tree. fast growing tree. <laughs> Your next photo is from north of Branch Oak Lake. They have five dapple willows that are all about nine years old. Um, the, the dieback that they're noticing happened within a day or two, within a couple weeks of each other. And so they were wondering what the cause of this dieback could possibly be. Um, they know that they have some brome grass around the base. They understand that's not the best for competition, but they want to know what's causing the death of their shrubs. So um, this one I'm going to kind of lean towards probably some kind of environmental issue and it could be potentially a root issue. Um, if you haven't been giving it any extra water then even though it willows like water so it being very dry that could be potentially what it is and the other ones aren't dying because their roots are probably much more open and able to move out to go seek more water. Um, with this willow, what I would do is I would probably just leave it sit, cut it back this fall and see if it won't um, come back up from the root next spring. But that's probably what I would do for next for this one. All right. Thank you, Terry. So it's time to take a few minutes to see what's going on out in our garden. And Terry James has another All-America selection for us to take a look at out in the Backyard Farmer Garden. This week in the Backyard Farmer Garden, we're continuing looking at our new 2023 All-America selection winners. We have some really great ones this year, and one of them is a new coleus that you can start from seed. It is a premium sun coral candy. This one is really cute. It has some great, fantastic kind of, kind of darker mauve pink, almost a weird color purple on it that will really blend with a lot of plants in your plant palette. So this is one that you can really add and get a lot of work out of. It's not gonna be very tall, so it's only gonna be about the 10 to 16 inches. So it's gonna be kind of one of those shorter um, coleuses, but it'll look great in containers as that filler piece. Like I said, you can blend a lot of colors with this one. It will take sun and part shade. Nothing but great comments from the judges on this one. And in the garden here, we have not seen this one start to flower and remember we're always pinching off flowers on coleuses because we're growing them more for the foliage and not for the flower so of all of our other coleuses this one is really the last one that we've seen 
go to flower. So check out the new Coleus Sun Coral Candy at the Backyard Farmer Garden. But right now it's time for the lightning round. And up first is Terry. Are you ready? Sure. So much enthusiasm. <laughs> All right. So for your first question, can I mow and use alfalfa as mulch in strawberries? Yes. Where can people take compost to have it tested for chemicals and other things that would keep garden plants from growing? Um, there are certain labs that will do that. You would have to, there's uh, one specific one up in South Dakota that you would have to send it to. Is there anywhere local? Um, I believe there's one in Lincoln that might do chemical tests in soils, but I would have to double check on that. I know they'll do like nutrient testing, but not chemical testing. The viewers' grapes are splitting and a lot did not set. Do you know, have any idea why? That's the weather. So that was probably not, not enough rain and then too much rain and too hot. So weather. The viewer saw something on the internet about slicing pool noodles and using them for a tree wrap. Would this work or would it harm the tree? No, don't do that. 28 Armstrong maple trees on both sides of their lane. Some are bare halfway up and some about a quarter or a third of the way. Do they need to be replaced? Yes. Okay. Does that count? I'm counting it. Okay. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not keeping track of the scoreboard, but we're counting it. <laughs> <laughs> Think you can top that, Amy? No, never, but I'll <laughs> give it a shot. All right, so Amy, is there a disease of lilacs starting now after they flowered that would make the leaves turn brown? Uh, there's some bacterial diseases that can move in after flowering, um, but we've been so dry, I would really doubt it. Uh, I would lean toward environmental. So there is something that looks like blossom end rot on the end of celebrity tomatoes. Are you aware of any cultivars that are not susceptible to this disease? There are some available, but I don't know what they are. Um, check with your local extension office. I bet your horticulturist might have some ideas for you. <laughs> what would cause yellowing around the edges of hollyhock leaves? Hollyhocks can get rust, and so that can cause a lot of yellowing. Otherwise, too much water can also cause yellowing on the leaf margins. And what would cause leaves to fall off an, of an otherwise healthy sycamore? Um, they suddenly turn black with dots and fall off. Anthracnose. Sycamore anthracnose is very common. Is it fatal? No, it is not fatal for your tree. Um, just clean up those leaves and hope for the weather to change, and you should be good to go. Hey, Dennis, Hit me. this is just a question. So how can I keep garter snakes from going under our outside crawl space cover, getting under the house and eventually into our living space? Six inches deep and six inches wide of lava rock. Product made from bovine or porcine dried blood that claims to repel deer, rabbits. Doesn't and work. Okay. <laughs> Wondering if someone is poisoning the squirrels in their neighborhood. The bottom of the stomach looks chewed and all of the innards have gone. Could be a bird of prey. It may not be poison. Probably bird of prey. 
two hyssop plants. Um, the next morning, both of them were dug out and one had all of its roots eaten off. The top was fine. What animal? 13 line ground squirrel, most likely. I like to bury my kitchen scraps in my garden. Um, is this viewer inviting moles, voles, possums, raccoons into their backyard? Probably raccoons or opossums would be the two you're inviting, not the others. What is the best way to get rid of moles? There are several devices. The ones that probably work the best are the harpoon traps, or if you want to go with a toxicant, um, the, the gummy worms that have a special poison just for moles. Okay. All right, Kyle, bring it on home. All right. Uh, New England asters have dried up from the bottom. They look like they have some kind of insect and curling leaves. They cut them back in mid-June, um, and then they cut them down, or do they dig them up, or what kind of spray do they use for if they have these insects? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, if it's curling leaves makes me think of aphids. If it's aphids, I would go with um, insecticidal soap, but... Okay. Um, what should we do to cover the sunflower blooms that are being eaten by critters, birds, and especially Japanese beetles? Cover the sunflower blooms? Cover the blooms. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Pass. Okay. Thousands of small ants swarming outside. Are they harmful? No. Snails are not an insect, but there are thousands of tiny ones outside following a heavy rain. What and why? Um, well, they, they, they need moisture. Um, so they, they tend to be in, in high moisture areas. So you see, see them more after a rain. And a good place to identify ticks. Um, well, there's several places here, um, here at UNL where you can get those identified, including the, the plant and pest diagnostic uh, clinic. All right. So I didn't take a look at the scores. Dennis sure. won. Oh, of course, Dennis won. Yeah. Oh, Dennis. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, there thanks. There you thanks go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Terry, we have a few plants of the week. What can you tell us about them? So, yes. So this is, uh, since I'm sitting in this chair, it's been all Backyard Farmer Day today. So these came out of the Backyard Farmer Garden, and these are my annuals that um, don't get to be seen very often on TV. So um, this one here is a heliochrysum. This is um, a straw flower. So this is um, one that will do really well, and then it will um, actually dry. So you can actually take it in and use it in the fall. And then this one here is Lantana. So this is actually one of my favorite series. It's called Lucky Series. So it's a, one that's a little bit shorter. Um, there's a whole bunch of different colors. There's like uh, sunset red and pink and white and stuff. But these are a fantastic pollinator. And then my absolute favorite um, actually got knocked out by its sister. This is uh, Verbena benariensis. This is Vanity. So this was a new variety from um, All-America Selection last year. So this one, Verbena benariensis, the straight species, was always my favorite. This one has knocked it out, so I like this one better. But this is a fantastic plant. It's kind of a scrim plant, so you can kind of plant it and be able to see still back behind, but kind of create that kind of illusion that you don't want people to go behind that. So some, some of my annuals out of the backyard farmer garden. All right, thank you, Terry. Now, Kyle, back to some of your ID questions. You have quite a few 
IDs. So the first one, flowers seem to be chewed from the inside the center. Um, they're not able to find any insects, but they want to know how to treat without harming pollinators. Uh, yeah, th this one could be really just a whole bunch of different things. Um, so it could be Japanese beetles, um, but I, I think you know, since they're not seeing anything, I think maybe variegated cutworms could be a, a decent guess on this. Um, there's n not a ton of options to not affect pollinators. If it is a cutworm, so that's a caterpillar, you could try um, BT. That is effective and won't, won't harm pollinators. Otherwise, um, that's hand-pick. All right. Your next one, they want to know what kind of beetle this is on their plant. Uh, Japanese beetles. They're out in force, that's for sure. This next one is a Hastings viewer. Um, they have knockout roses and something seems to be eating them. Yeah, so really the big things um, are the rose uh, sawflies, saw slug sawflies. Those aren't gonna be a problem now. Um, and then Japanese beetles. So some of that feeding looks like it could be newer. That would be Japanese beetle. Older feeding might be the sawflies. Um, but I think the bigger thing is, you know, there's a lot of like chlorotic tissue on this and none of that, I, that doesn't look really insect related to me. So I'm also wondering if there, there might be a, a path issue here or something, something more going on beyond just insects feeding on it. And then your last photo, um, they have this houseplant. It keeps continuing to develop what they call fungus, but it's these white masses on there. Um, they're just kind of wondering what it is and what they can do to get rid of it. Mealybugs, um, you just have to really be tenacious with them. So the first thing I would do is just scrape them off with that you, whatever you see with your hand. Um, you can kind of smash them or rub them off. Um, otherwise, you can use insecticidal soaps. You'll have to do that repeatedly. Um, and then there also are some systemics that can be used for houseplants. All right. Dennis, our first viewer here wants to know how to uh, trap woodchucks, but they are from Mount Holly, New Jersey. I would check definitely with your local regulations. In Nebraska, we can live trap them and then properly ethically euthanize them. And you have to use a trap with a tarp over it, wire the trap open, entice them for a week, and then unwire the trap so they go in there faster and get caught. Um, but again, check your local regulations because some states, woodchucks, uh, groundhogs are protected. Okay. Your next two photos are from Washington, Nebraska, and they want to know what animal has dug these holes. Okay, this looks like a fast dig by something like maybe a fox or a badger. And if you looked at that first picture, you saw a lot of small holes around of 13-line ground squirrels. 13-line ground squirrels are the favorite food of badgers, and so the badger is digging after the 13-line ground squirrels. So you're seeing some predation going on. And your, your next question actually has to do with how do they keep badgers from destroying their garden? Again, live trapping is the only legal and ethically way you can take care of them. And then you have to trap them and you can use, they're kind of hard to trap. Again, a tarp trap where it's going in a dark tunnel, and you may have to use a, you know, a dead ground squirrel as bait or a dead kangaroo rat. They love kangaroo rats as well. And then for your last photo, it's from Hardington, Nebraska. They need help identifying the animal that has dug this hole. Yeah, I was looking at this, it's kind of tough. I think it, it's probably a, a Franklin ground squirrel or maybe a 13-line ground squirrel. It's a little bit off to the side, 
but it, the size of it, it could be a, a smaller woodchuck as well. Um, I would put powder around it, get some footprints. All right, thank you, Dennis. Okay, Amy, um, this viewer is from Griswold, Iowa, and they were having some issues with their hollyhocks. It's happened for the last two to five years. Um, the hollyhocks look normal, and then all of a sudden the leaves start turning yellow, and then we have these spots. So my advantage is I could blow up the picture earlier. If you look at the leaves, you're going to see these ye little yellow spots, and this is actually hollyhock rust. And so if you would flip the leaf over, you would actually see pustules on the bottom, and you can rub the rust spores off. Hollyhock rust is one of those that will come back every single year, and your hollyhocks look great, and then bang, it hits, and you see that major yellowing of the plants and kind of, kind of the plants just decline after that. So management-wise, you can do use of fungicide, typically not recommended. Make sure you clean it up really well because these spores are able to overwinter. So you wanna get rid of all that debris um, before next spring. Okay, for your next photo, it's from Ashland, Nebraska. They have these brown spots that showed up on their cucumbers and they're wondering what's going on. So this is actually anthracnose of cucumbers or cucurbits. It's a very common disease. Um, this one is going to be moved by water, and so we want to avoid overhead watering if we can, so making sure we're using uh, soaker hoses. If you're in the lucky part of the state where you're getting some rain, you can't really control that, and you're happy that Mother Nature's given us some rain, typically we don't need to do any application for it, but if it continues to progress and you have a lot of rain events or watering from above, you can come in with a copper treatment to manage that. Make sure you read the label very carefully with those for pre-harvest intervals to assure that you're able to pick the cucumbers and consume them safely. Uh, your next photo is from Elgin and they wonder what's kind of going on with their zucchinis. So this one stumped me for a little bit and I actually looked at a bunch of articles and other pictures. I'm leaning toward nutrient deficiency here. Um, maybe some of those macro or micro macronutrients. So give it a shot of uh, fertilizer to see if that's going to help it come back because it's all intravenal. Uh, the veins are nice and green, but then everything's browning. So I will lean toward a nutrient. So give it some fertilizer and see if it will help it out. And then your last photo, uh, photos that you have here, they have some hibiscus that have been struggling, some bee balm, some cone flowers. They're wondering if it could possibly be aster's yellows. So the first picture is a classic symptom of aster yellows. You're seeing that cluster of leaf-like structures going on. Um, the second picture, however, is not aster yellows. The plants are very, very yellow. I would lean toward environmental or nutrient deficiency at this point in time with that. Um, with aster yellows, that is leafhopper transmitted, you will want to remove those. Otherwise, it will keep moving throughout your bee balm and the other plants in the area. All right, thank you, Amy. Okay, Terry, we have uh, maple. Um, the bark is peeling off on the lower four feet. It's begun to crack and separate from the trunk. Um, they're from Lincoln, and it seems like they have a new construction site. They're wondering if there's anything they can do for that. No, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do for this. Um, this happens on these really um, fine um, barked wood. Um, it happens over the winter. Um, just make sure that you're if we don't get if we get stop getting rain, make sure that you're giving it good water. See how it does. If it's big enough that it will fall on something, then I would probably suggest getting rid of it and starting over. And in your next uh, photo, we have another maple. It's about 14 years old. Again, split trunk. Wondering if there's anything they can do. Yep, same thing. Okay. And then your next photo um, is a Griswold, Iowa viewer. They have a cranberry bush viburnum about 12 years old. Um, they've had some branches that start snapping off and breaking off. They kind of wonder what's going on with, with this shrub. 
So there is, there's actually a bore that will get into these. So that could have been part of the problem. Um, recommendation would be a good management of these. You're, you need to kind of go in there about every other year or so and kind of just cut back those bigger um, branches and just to kind of make sure that it just you're getting all those newer, smaller ones up and going. So that's probably what you need to do. It also looks very wet. So if you can somehow maybe dry that out, there could be a little rot going on down there too. And your last photo, um, they're wondering what's going on with their evergreen. Um, so I looked at this and like Amy said, we get to see these earlier and I cannot see any disease on this, but the bottom, it looks like they're, um, putting all of their leaf clippings down there. So I think that this is way too wet. These trees do not like to be wet. They like to have dry feet. So pull all of that, um, mulch back out of there and try to dry it up. All right. Thank you, Terry. So green roofs have had a spike in popularity in recent years, and former UNL horticulture professor, professor Richard Sutton created a green roof on top of his work shed at his home. And he talks about what it took to get it installed, how it has matured into this beautiful feature in his backyard. So the green roof uh, up above us here is made up of a special mix that I created when I was at UNL of crumb rubber, biochar, and compost, all recycled products, and all very lightweight when compared with your typical heat expanded shale and clay. That allows us in this particular roof to have a deep profile that is perfect for some of our native plants. And the roof has been planted totally to native grasses Forbes and uh, sedges. The, the green roof has been built in tandem or in, in triplet with a green wall and a rainwater garden. The green wall drains into a guttering system that then is taken down and flows into the rainwater garden. The green wall is drip irrigated and excess moisture also flows into the rainwater garden. The green roof is a typical green roof in that it allows moisture to move or water to move through it vertically fairly quickly. If you don't do that, the weight builds up and it can impose weight limits on the structure. Uh, the water is then picked up by a horizontal uh, drainage system and then taken to the edge. And you can see the slots in the, uh, the end there that allows water then to drain into the, uh, uh, the gutters. This particular green roof has uh, suffered a little bit in the drought this summer, and that's why we irrigate it. Green roofs are limited in where they can get moisture. Unlike our native prairies that have deep roots, this has a limited amount of water that's available, so we have to be able to supplement it. Doesn't have to be very watered every day, but in a dry period, maybe every couple of weeks. So the plants that we used up here are all native plants, native grasses and forbs, but the way that they were put in was rather unique. First of all, the grasses were seeded in and then the forbs were plugged in as 32s. And that's worked very well because the grasses uh, germinate very quickly. We also tried a few with little less success seeding in of forbs. But what we see up here is really two years growth. It's been through two growth seasons, including this one. So it's, it's doing quite well. And we have some 
tall grasses as well as some shorter ones and, and uh, it's really worked quite effectively. For those that might be thinking about uh, green roof, we had the luxury of starting from the get-go on the workshop and we could build a structure for it. Using the lightweight mix, we could anticipate doing a retrofit on existing roofs. A lot of things to take into account though, and the first one is loading. You have to have the structure and the foundation that's able to take additional loading because when it gets wet, even though it drains quickly, it does weigh more than your typical roof. Stay tuned for upcoming Backyard Farmer programs as Dr. Sutton will also show us his green wall and his rain garden. And so we have a couple announcements really quick. Day Lily Days, the information is up on your screen. And the next one is Backyard Farmers at City Campus next week. So come out and join us for a live Q&A and the show at 6. And moving on to our last set of questions, Kyle. Um, the pollinators love this plant and the viewer would like you to identify what these two creatures are. Well, there's three here, but the, the main one there is uh, a cuckoo wasp. That's the metallic green uh, uh, wasp. Okay. The next one is from Sergeant Bluff, Iowa, and they found these on their maple. They were wondering what they were. Um, it's a pair of mating Midas flies. The next one is from Lincoln, and these insects are on their milkweed. Yep, uh, red milkweed beetle. They, they're harmless. They don't hurt the milkweed or anything else. All right, and lastly, um, these are from rural Odo County. They found this little fella on one of the leaves. He was only about an inch long. Um, they didn't see any leaf damage. They were wondering kind of what he was. Uh, looks like a cabbage looper, so they, they can be a pest of, of coal crops. So um, you can handpick if there's you know not too much going on. Um, if you see any signs of, of damage, otherwise, like something like BT um, would be would be effective. Okay. Thank you, Kyle. Dennis, mm -hmm. um, they found this snake resting on the mar marble door sill at their daughter's house in Burt County. They were wondering what it was and the pros and cons of keeping them around. Well, thank you for watering it because it's drinking. I can tell it's drinking. It must have been very dry. Uh, so I applaud you for giving it water. It's a western fox snake, 100% harmless, and eats rodents. Okay, the next one is near Dalton, Nebraska. They found something very interesting. Um, they were going down their lane when they saw this box turtle eating a snake. Okay, it's an ornate box turtle, which are common in the western half of the state. And it's a yellow belly racer, probably a hawk or a bird of prey killed the racer because the turtle can't. And the turtle is, they do eat carrion and it's just finishing up the meal. Okay. The next photo is of a turtle they saw uh, in Lincoln and they wanted identified, they think that she may be laying eggs. Yep, it is a common snapping turtle. They'll lay 40 round ping pong size eggs. 90% of their eggs get eaten by raccoons, so they need to, to lay 40 per turtle. And when they're in this state, you can go right up and touch them and they don't care. Okay. Not something I want to do. Your last question is from Grand Island. They have something that's chewing on their zucchini. Okay, that's a bird. Reptile gone bad. Some kind of bird. Some kind of bird. Any way to keep it from happening. Yeah, bird netting over the garden. All right. Thank you, Dennis. And Amy, mm -hmm. um, we have a viewer that they were wondering if this browning on this evergreen is caused by lack of water. 
I would lean toward environmental with the color of the brown. Try to give it some more water and see what happens. See what happens. Okay, next one is uh, Plattsmouth, Nebraska. They found these mushrooms on the edge of their yard. They're wondering, are they good guys? Are they bad guys? So this is breaking down some dead wood. This is actually an oyster mushroom. Um, doesn't hurt anything, just breaking down organic matter. And then this last one, it's a type of conch mushroom. I couldn't identify it completely. Once again, it's breaking down dead organic matter. It feeds on that heartwood, heartwood of the tree and the, the branch is already off, so it's not gonna hurt anything at this point in time. Kind of pretty to look at. All right, thanks, Amy. Okay, Terry, um, we've got a couple questions for you. The first one is from Guide Rock and they're wondering what's going on with their tomatoes. Uh, this looks like sunburn, so um, if you are pruning back your tomatoes, make sure that you're leaving some of the leaves over to protect that fruit. Is there anything they can do to save these? Not really, no. Just uh, clip them off now so that it doesn't continue to ripen and then it, your plant should flush some more flowers. Okay. Um, this next one is from Hickman. It's a potato plant, and they were wondering what those little balls were on the top of their plant. So potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, they're all related. They're in the Solanaceae family, and this is what Solanaceae seeds look like. So after it flowered, these are the seeds. Don't eat them. <laughs> Very cool. Um, the next one, a viewer had mentioned and watched when John had brought up the peppers and they had to share with us that they thought John had their peppers because they've been growing them for years and then they've got these lovely light colored ones right now. So I think that's fantastic. Um, I think there's like a Santa Fe chili. I just know that there was this big kind of mess up nationwide with some jalapeno seeds all across the country. So lots of people are growing different um, peppers than what they had originally planted, but I say that is an opportunity and just go with it. If you need extra peppers, go to your farmer's market and buy peppers from your local farmer's market. There you go. And we have about 30 seconds for this last one, Terry, but the viewer is wondering, what is this? Uh, this is um, in the Brassicaceae family. This is the mustard. This is the seed or the flower from that um, plant. Okay, very cool.